Um, if you've got a smart device and are following the message outline on our U version, I've actually got that clip downloaded as part of the outline, so you can take a look at it there, which is a great way for me to tell you, use your smart device and use the U version if you'd like. Um, I'd like to welcome uh, the Brentwood campus as they're watching this via videocast. Um, also, for all those of you who are watching this through YouTube or our podcast, we want to welcome you. And we're so glad you're joining us. Now, if you've been on this journey of this marriage series called No Ordinary Marriage, uh, we've also been encouraging people to um, get a book. And um, in all my years of reading on marriage uh, as a pastor, I would contend that this is probably the best thoughtful book on marriage and uh, it has some good theological depth, but also it has some real good practical applications. And it's Timothy Keller's book called The Meaning of Marriage, um, Facing the Complexities of Commitment with the Wisdom of God. If you want to get a Christian vision for marriage, um, I would contend with you that this is a great book for you to get hold of. Now, I was reminded by a certain bookstore owner yet last week that we should talk about getting a paper copy and so you could go to Faithful, um, I think Faithful Servant Christian Bookstore over in Riverview. You could ask them to order it there. You could go to Cover to Cover. Um, you know, that's Tony. So Tony, there we go, Tony. And, um, or you could get a digital edition and go on Amazon. So I'll still throw that out as well. So do, what, do whatever's available and good for you. Um, I just... I just want to kind of do a quick review if, if you're just entering into this series with us. Um, we're, we're sort of building some basic critical building blocks of a Christian vision for marriage. And, and uh, you know, I know that in our society there are different visions of what marriage is. Um, you know, but, but today in the context of this church preaching, we're obviously going to teach you what is the Christian vision for marriage. Now, with that said, um, we, we sort of got a picture here of a wedding cake, and I think if you have an outline, you can see the outline with the wedding cake. Uh, I mean, the wedding cake on your outline, I should say, your paper outline. Uh, so the first big idea, the first layer that we wanted to share with you, that marriage, we have to understand marriage in the context of the gospel of Christ. Because one of the anchor passages in the Bible, it says, husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his life up for her. That, if you don't do anything else, husbands and wives, or people who are moving into marriage, if you simply would seek to fulfill that gospel definition, you will revolutionize your marriage. Because it means, if I'm called to love my spouse, the way Christ loves the church, then it means it's unconditional. And it means that the relationship is ahead of my personal selfish needs at times, right? It, it, it means there's going to be grace. It means there's going to be truth. It means that we deal with our brokenness. Christ died for the church because the church had flaws and weaknesses. So there's honesty in the marriage. So it's, it's revolutionary if you, if you go, go any further than that. Just simply love your spouse as Christ loved the church. So the marriage, fundamental building cake block here, is that marriage is gospel. The second critical building block, though, we talked about last week, is marriage is covenant. 
Marriage is covenant. And we had a definition for covenant because that's not a word we often use today. It really simply means that a covenantal marriage or Christian vision for a covenantal marriage is it's a long-term binding commitment embodied in a legal contract or legal document. And we just really stress the idea that there is this powerful need for us to understand that when we are called to bind ourselves together, or as the old uh, passage in Genesis, King James Version was, a, a man shall leave and cleave. The idea was that cleaving is that that was a covenant. That was a public commitment of, of uh, promise to the spouse and to each other. So we talked about the importance of the public covenant. And today, as we now build the third layer, the next critical idea of, of a Christian vision for marriage is that marriage is friendship. Marriage is friendship. And that's where I want to travel here uh, for the next number of minutes with you in this message. Um, you know, it's amazing if you said to people, what is your marriage for? And if you really asked them if they were really honest, they would probably come up with different reasons for why people need to get married. Some people may say, well, we have sexual needs. And marriage is a, a healthy context for those sexual needs to be met. Uh, others would say, um, well, marriage provides a good context for producing children. I mean, God did say, go forth and multiply. So... Um, marriage provides that, that environment and that context for that. Um, others would say, well, I'm, I mean, well, the truth is other people may not have such, such illustrious reasons. They may say, hey, I needed a trophy wife. I needed a trophy husband. I wanted to look good. This was a babe. You know, this is a hunk. You know, I mean, it's interesting that men are still attracted to beauty and women, well, they look at most guys, and that's kind of hard up for them. So they go for the provider. They say, is he, will he be a good provider? Which is another reason why people get married. They go, well, I don't want to face this world alone. I need some security. Uh, others may say, um, I, I needed a helper in order for me to achieve my vocational, business, and other personal goals. And so marriage provides that. It's interesting, though, that when we come to the Word of God, the main purpose for marriage is none of those. They all, although some are really good reasons, some are legitimate reasons, but the number one reason for marriage, according to Scripture, is for friendship. And you say, well, how do you know that, Dave? Well, let's turn to the Bible, Genesis 2.18, and let me read you this passage. In Genesis 2.18, we read, then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. I want you to notice right away that we often, when we read that passage, we get confused about that word helper. Because in our context, when we think of someone who's a helper, we think of usually, I, my default is, of someone who, well, I'm doing a project. Would you come along and help me? You're sort of a secondary person. You're sort of a, 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 you know, you're important, but you're not as important as me. So why don't you just come over and help me? And I'm here and you're here. 
But when we look at that word, that Hebrew word for helper, actually it's, it means ezer, or the word actually, the Hebrew word is ezer. Let's go to the next slide there, Larry. Um, I will make, actually God said, I will make an ezer. Now what's interesting is that there's other passages in the Old Testament in which describe God himself as an ezer. He too is an ezer. And we don't think of God as a little secondary helper person. We don't think of ourselves here and God over here sort of helping us out. When God says, I am your Ezra or I am your helper, another translation for Ezra is, I am your companion, I am your friend. And so when God looked at man and said, it is not good for man to be alone, he said, we need to deal with this loneliness issue which is occurring in paradise. Now, some have speculated, why is it that, that God said it's not good? Everything else was good except this relational issue for man, that there was something that wasn't right in paradise. And um, some theologians speculate that we must remember that God is a triune God. Remember we did that series on the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they created what we know as reality. They created the world and everything else that we know. And that man was created in God's image. And he, man had this intense need for relationship. And as much as man had a relationship with God, he also needed to have some horizontal relationship. So he had this vertical relationship with God, but he needed a horizontal. And when God saw that man needed this relationship, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And he created woman to be his ezer, his friend, his companion. The number one reason for marriage, because when God brought Eve to Adam, Eve said, I mean, Adam said, um, alas, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And in fact, um, some suggest that really means that now I am complete. I am complete in this relationship. Uh, it's fascinating when we stop and uh, think about this, that what we really come to grips with in the creational design seen in the Bible for marriage is that God gave man a companion, a friend, to be his spouse. Marriage is for friendship. Now, let's, let's move on. So what's the implication of this? Well, that moves us on to the second big point here in the message, and that is, it is more, marriage has to be more than about attraction. Now, attraction's important. Attraction has its place, but it has to be more than about attraction. It's interesting that the female speaker in, the, in a very um, book that isn't often preached on, in the Song of Solomons in the Old Testament, echoes Adam when she says, this is my lover, this is my friend. We love this verse, though, because it really holds together the tension of God's design for marriage. Yes, a man and a woman are called to be lovers, but they're also called to be friends. In our society, I think we've separated those two. Yes, we don't mind our spouse being our lover, but we, we over here have our friends. And yet, God's design for marriage is that our spouse, our husband, our wife is our best friend. You know, the biblical idea that friendship is what drives a marriage was radical during the Apostle Paul's day when he talked about marriage in Ephesians 5. 
And also, it was radical even in the age when people were reading Genesis for the first time. Because as we think about this idea of friendship, let's understand something. Actually, there's another passage in Proverbs 2, verse 17, that speaks of one spouse as your alup, a unique word that lexicons define as your best friend. That, 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 that's what your spouse is supposed to be, your aloop or your best friend. You know, this was written in an age when women were often seen as husband's property and marriages were mainly business deals and transactions seeking to increase family, social status, and security. So it was startling to hear a woman described this way within the scriptures. But well, let's think about today. In today's world, um, there's an emphasis on romance and sex. And it's just as radical to insist that your spouse should be your best friend. You know, I, I can't help but think that so often what happens is that when people are in that pre-married state, this is how in our culture that we sort of make a decision about who we're interested in. We walk into a room, we see 10 people, and we say, who attracts me? Who do I find physically attractive? And so we immediately cross out seven of those 10 of the opposite sex. And we go, okay, now I'm down to three. These three attract me, so I'll, I'll, I'll you know, run my luck here and see how I do. And I go over to the first one, I get rejected. I go up to the second one, and they, they you know, snicker. And I, but then I, the third one, we actually sort of hit it off. We start a conversation. And this whole genesis of me talking to this person is based on I'm being attracted to them romantically and sexually. And then... I start talking to them, and then I realize, well, you know, they, they seem to have some of my common interests. You know I, I, you know, I think we could make this work. And so we date for a while, and I'm trying to make it work. And then I go, ah, oh, I guess, you know, this is the best I'll do. This is good. They're, they're, I'm attracted to them. And then I go, and maybe someday we could even be friends. Maybe that will work out. That's like a bonus. Now, what's interesting is that maybe before I walked into that room, I actually came with someone of the opposite sex who brought me to that party or that event who was a buddy of mine. We'd known each other for years. We hung out. We got to know each other. We know each other's likes and dislikes. We share some common dreams and opportunities. We, we, we certain like certain music. We like the same books. And we never stopped to think, maybe that's the person I should see if there's can be a romantic spark with. Oh, no, they're just a friend. They're just a buddy. I mean, I always hope that I'll know them and we'll travel together as friends, but I would never. Well, no. And yet, if we get into our heads that marriage is first and foremost friendship, maybe that's God tapping me on the shoulder saying, maybe if I've given you a good friend of the opposite sex. Maybe that good friend should be the one that you should now pursue and see if there can be some romantic attraction. Attraction is important, but put attraction in the back seat, put friendship in the front seat. Now, um, I just, as we think about friendship, why is friendship so needed in marriages? 
Two reasons, first of all. We need friends because friends provide two critical things. And this is a true friend. And oh, by the way, I just want to just do a pause here. I know that there's people watching this series or coming to during church right now and saying, look, I don't know if I'm in a marriage situation or even interested in marriage. This series isn't for me. Look, there's a lot of practical truths that apply to other relationships, both for yourself, with God, and with others that can be applied beyond marriage. Here's a good example. Here's what we need in friends, whether it's my, my spouse who I'm seeking to be my best friend with and what I need from other friends. I need two critical things from friends. I need truth and I need dependability. I need friends who will be transparent with me and friends who will be constant with me. As one person said, real friends always let you in and they never let you down. Let me read a quote here. A writer once described a relationship that united these two things. She spoke of the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with a person. Now catch this. This is a wonderful balance of truth and dependability. This is what we need in friendship, and this is what we need in our marriage. Having neither to weigh thoughts nor measure words, but pouring them out, right out, just as they are, chaff and grain together, certain that a faithful hand will take them and sift them, keep what is worth keeping, and then with a breath of kindness, blow the rest away. That is the type of friendships we need. We need them around us, and we need them in our marriage. We need that constancy and transparency. You know, when we stop and think about friendship in the Christian context, though, this constancy and transparency, this truthfulness and dependability actually goes even deeper. Because think about this. When I have a Christian friend, now catch this. This is a true Christian friend. I can honestly confess my sins to that friend. I can, um, I can also lovingly point out my, other, my friend's sins to him or to her if they're blind to them. I, I can know that my Christian friend will stir me up, provoking me to, to move into what God wants me to do in my life. That's the type of Christian friend I need. Um, I need a Christian friend who, where I can admit my errors, I can offer and ask for forgiveness, I can reconcile with this friend because of our common hope in Christ. That's a Christian friend. That's the type of what we call transparency. There's no more games. We talk honestly because of our, our commitment to Christ. The other thing about Christian friendship is that, remember, that dependability. You know, Christian friendship means that we bear each other's burdens, as the Bible says. That we should be, each, be for each other through thick and thin. That we will share the good and the bad. We'll weep with those who weep and we'll rejoice with those who rejoice. You know, if we're going to be a good Christian friend, we're going to look at the spiritual gifts that we each have and say, are you using the gifts that God has given you, both spiritually and naturally? Now, now here's the thing. This is the type of friendship, if you're in a Christian marriage, that you want to see happen between you and your spouse, between you and your husband. You know, as I, as I said before, if you think of marriage largely in terms of erotic love, you're going to get the whole issue of compatibility all mixed up because you're going to simply mean it means sexual chemistry and appeal. And if you think of marriage largely as a way to move into a kind of a social status in life you desire, then compatibility means being part of the desired social class and perhaps common tastes and aspirations for life. But listen, the problem with these factors is they're not durable. 
Physical attractiveness will wane no matter how hard you work to delay its departure. Social economic status, unfortunately, can change almost overnight. And when people think they found compatibility based on these things, they often make the painful discovery that they built the relationship on unstable ground. Because when a woman lets herself go or a man loses his job, and then the compatibility foundation falls apart. Now, again, attraction is part of the journey of marriage. But it can't be the driver. Because God is seeking to make you friends. Let friendship be the driver. And let that friendship be based off, and you see this triangle here on, on the slide behind me? Let that friendship be bonded by that supernatural connection that you have in God through Christ. Let, that, let it be bonded through natural affinities towards one another and towards other things. And also let it be bonded by romantic love. But that's where the attraction is built off of. It's built off of friendship. Well, I just want to leave you now with one final big idea. We're, we're shooting to have this as a 25-minute message, and I have a feeling we're going to be hitting 30 because I just know I'm not going to land it in three minutes and 50 seconds. So here we go. The last big idea, though, about this whole idea that marriage is for friendship. Remember, we said, first of all, God designed it. He made man and woman friends. That's what he wanted them to be. And we then realized that attraction then needs to be in the back seat of the marriage car, not the front seat. It needs to be about friendship first. But now, let's ask this question. How do you make friends? How do you make friends? Because I have people, even part of this church family, that come up to me and say, Dave, I'm so lonely. I want some friends. I don't have any friends. Well, let me read to you something by C.S. Lewis, how he talks about how you find friends. Now, listen carefully, how you find friends. He writes, friendship arises when two or more discover that they have some common insight or interest. As Emerson once said, do you love me? It actually means do you see the same truth? Or at least do you care about the same truth? The person who agrees with us that some question, little regarded by others, is of great importance, that person can become our friend. Now, this is a little harsh. This isn't me saying This is C.S. Lewis saying this. That is why those pathetic people who simply want friends can never make any. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. Where the truthful answer to the question, do you see the same truth, would be by one of these people. I don't care about the truth. I only want you to be my friend right now. Please, please be my friend. No friendship, C.S. Lewis says, can arise. Friendship must be about something, even if it's only enthusiasm for dominoes and white mice. You both love dominoes and white mice. You now have the potential for a friendship. Because as he goes on to say, those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. What makes friendship? Okay, you know, I'm a, you know I'm a Lord of the Rings fan, okay? I am. I admit it. I just confess it right now. For those of you who watched The Fellowship of the Ring, what was so cool about, what was their mission? They had to get the ring to Mount Mordor and throw it in the fiery pit. They had to assemble this strange group of people, you know, the arrow legless and the little short Gimli with the big axe. And did you notice, if you watched that movie, when they all got together, Gimli and Legolas did not like each other. 
different race, and they're mocking each other and laughing at each other. And, but by the end of the journey, because they had a common mission, they became fast friends. What's your mission? Now, here's the big question, if you're with me. I can feel the smoke burning here in the brains right now, so here we go. So what makes a great marriage if marriage is about friendship? The question is, your marriage then needs to be a friendship about something great. If the greatest mission you have in your marriage is to get your house paid off, that is not a great mission. If your greatest mission in your marriage as friends is to raise your kids, guess what happens after your kids are raised? We all know the answer to that one. What is your mission as best friends in your marriage? What's your mission? Well, there's a Christian answer to this. I'm going to tell you it as we go into overtime. <laughs> Here we go. Hey, Russian and the U.S. win in overtime. We can too. Listen. The Christian answer to the great, the great mission, or in your outline there, what's the great horizon point, is, is this. Um, it's awful when you get cocky and you lose all your notes where you want to go. But anyway, listen to this. Friendship is a deep oneness, as Keller writes, that develops as two people speaking the truth and love to each other, journey to the same horizon. And then he goes on to say this. Spiritual friendship is the greatest journey of all because the horizon is so high and so far, yet so sure. It's nothing less than the day of Jesus Christ where we will be like him when we finally see him face to face. The primary goal of Christian marriage then is not social status and stability or romantic or emotional happiness, but let's just go to the passage in Ephesians 5 and read this. This is the primary goal for marriage. Listen. Remember, Paul's writing to husbands and wives about how to love in their marriage, and he's using the gospel, how Christ loves the church. But catch this now. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loves the church. Now notice, though, the goal of why Christ gave his life up for the church. Look, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this. What was Christ's goal? Just to save her? No. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or a wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. Christ died for all of us, not because we were lovely, but to make us lovely. Christ is the friend of sinners. Now, taking that analogy, if Christ is the friend of us, and, and Paul is saying, in your marriage, husbands, wives, love each other as Christ loved the church, we are now to be friends to each other. In what way? We're to be friends to each other in order for us not because we don't love each other because we are lovely. We love each other as friends in our marriage in order to make us lovely, to become lovely. I want to go on and just read this. 
The implication for the Christian marriage then, if you get this idea of let's have a grand vision, let's have a great horizon for our marriage, actually it's this. It's to help each other become our future glory selves, the new creation that God will eventually make us. The common horizon for a Christian husband and a Christian wife will look towards is the throne, the holy, spotless, blameless nature we will have. That is the great horizon that we as Christian husbands and wives need to have for each other. When, when a husband, and w- when, when a bride and a groom stand before a minister such as myself and they are, they, are, they, are, they are spotless at that moment, they are in a beautiful dress and a beautiful suit, guess what that's an image of? You know what that's an image of? That is an image of someday us standing before the throne of God and God saying, well done. Well done, Dave and Nancy. Well done, Tim. And, oh my goodness, I wish I went blank. Virginia. Well done, Bruce and, and Penny. Well done, you know. On and on the list goes. Well done, John Lynn. Well done, well done, well done. Why? Because what, we, what God will say to us at that moment is well done. Over the years, you lifted one another up to me. You sacrificed for one another. You held one another up with prayer and with thanksgiving. You confronted each other. You prayed for each other. You rebuked each other. You hugged and you loved each other. You continually pushed each other towards me. And now look at you. You are, let's go back to the passage. If we could. You are holy and without fault. What is your great vision for your marriage? Now, don't get me wrong. Romance and sex and laughter and fun are the byproducts of this great journey of faith that's before all of us. Those things are important, but please listen. They can't keep marriage going through years and years of ordinary life. What keeps the marriage going is your commitment and this is the Christian vision for marriage, is your commitment to your spouse's holiness. You're committed to his or her spiritual beauty. You're committed to his or her spiritual greatness and perfection. You're committed to her honesty and his passion for the things of God. That's your job as a spouse because you're supposed to love your spouse as Christ loved the church. Christ is the greatest friend to the church. God is calling us to follow that in our model in our marriage. That spouse of ours is to be our best friend. We're not to allow anyone else to take that center spot of friendship with our spouse. Any lesser goal than that for your marriage or someday when you enter into marriage means you're just playing at marriage. You're just, being, you're just playing to being married. So, so for all of you who are entering into marriage entering into marriage, like you're looking at, you're looking ahead and that's on your horizon. Screen first for friendship before you get all caught up in attraction. Yes, attraction is going to be part of it, but screen first for friendship. Are you soulmates? Do you have a common vision? Do you have natural affinities? Do you have that spiritual base? And for us who are married, develop that friendship. Work on that friendship. You know, as Keller has said, your spouse has got to be your best friend or be on the way to becoming your best friend 
and listen, or you won't have a strong, rich marriage that endures. And could I add, and it won't become the powerful force that shapes your life. So did you catch what this is? You know what the point of marriage is, first and foremost, according to God's plan? It's for friendship. He designed it. So that means we got to make our marriage more than about you're attracting, attractive to me. No, we are deep friends. And then as friends, we got to ask ourselves, what is our great horizon that we're traveling towards? And someday, Christian husbands and Christian wives, it's to stand before God, holy and without fault, because of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, be with us as we grasp this idea of what it means that marriage is for friendship. Thank you, Jesus, for being our great friend, our great lover. And let us love each other in our marriages as you have loved the church. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to release this now to Pastor Carolyn for her time in ministry. Thank you for coming. Guess what? God bless you. Go and live out the friendship with God and friendship with one another. And for those of you who are married, become best friends. Take care.